Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. It is now time for Why It Matters. And we're going to talk about how we've seen the European region going through a bit of a turmoil. But the businesses in the region, they're still seeing the importance of trade relations with the ASEAN region. Now, in the recent survey by the EU ASEAN Business Council, which is the primary business body for European businesses in ASEAN, 63% of respondents see ASEAN as the region with the best economic opportunity. Now, with 69% of respondents expecting ASEAN markets to become more important in terms of worldwide revenues over the next two years, there's also enthusiasm from both sides wanting to trade. But what more can be done to accelerate the elimination of any barriers of trade between the two regions? On the line with me this morning is Chris Humphrey, Executive Director, EU ASEAN Business Council. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Elliot. Good to hear from you again. And this time it's about the recently published 8th Business Sentiment Survey. Could you tell us more about it? Yes, this is a survey we do every year at the Business Council. We use it as a barometer to try and test the the views of European businesses operating in Southeast Asia towards the region, towards trade agreements between Europe and ASEAN, and then a range of other issues. Like this year, we ask questions around sustainability and, and labour movement at the same time. Mm. Sustainability, definitely one of the evolutions uh, as you go through all eight editions of this survey. What other key findings have you noticed have changed over the years? Well, some of them have been pretty constant. The enthusiasm for Southeast Asia has always been there. It's actually probably deeper this year than it has been in previous years. And I think that reflects a bounce back from COVID-19 and Europe's own problems at the same time. Mm. Other ones have also remained pretty constant, the view about too many barriers to trade in, in Southeast Asia. But some have definitely improved for, for ASEAN. So over the years, we've seen companies reporting much more consultation going on with governments in the region and less concerns about unfair competitive practices. Mm. Let's, uh, we'll definitely get to those barriers in a while. But I, I want to talk about how, you know, there is always this phrase that goes around, there is strong sentiment from European businesses towards ASEAN. What exactly does that mean? Where does it stem from? Well, I think it stems from the underlying fundamentals of the ASEAN region. Mm. This is a region which has been showing consistently high growth rates over the last decade or so. Despite the dip we had in COVID, the region actually, I think, performed pretty well throughout the COVID pandemic. They put in place a number of measures to help businesses in the region and make sure the recovery could be fast and strong when it did come. And that recovery was indeed fast and strong as well. And we're seeing great growth rates now. And I think if you're a European business, and you're looking at your own home markets where, you know, if we get growth rates of 2% in Europe, we're extremely happy. Where you're looking at Southeast Asia, where we regularly get growth rates of 5 6 even 7% in some market. So if you're looking for somewhere to invest where you can grow your business, this is a natural place to come. Mm-hmm. And if you add on that, Southeast Asia, third largest workforce in the world, relatively young population, tech-savvy, urbanization rates are high, very middle classes, you can see the attraction for for many businesses globally. Mm. You want to come here, you want to invest here, you want to make things here to, to sell things here and make things here to export back to your home markets as well. Mm, I see all these factors that you've pointed out that contributes to it. Uh, Chris, do legal factors come into play? I mean, a lot of people tend to say, oh, yeah, we love Singapore, for example, because of the legal framework. What's the general sentiment with regard to legal frameworks around Southeast Asia? 
That's a good question. So a lot of companies will put their regional HQs here in Singapore yeah. because, you know, here we, we have great commercial rule of law. We have great connectivity. We have very good treasury and finance functions as well. But they'll often then have their manufacturing bases elsewhere in the region because that's where the bigger markets are. So if you look at Indonesia, biggest economy in the region, 250 million people. That is where you probably want to be selling your products and your services going forward. Um, but they'll keep their HQ bases here. They'll often put all their contracts through Singapore as well. We have an arbitration center here, which is internationally renowned. So that's why Singapore is often seen as the hub. Elsewhere, I think there are advances that can be made. We do see economies opening up. Sometimes you see governments taking one step forward and one step back again. Uh, and that becomes a concern for industry. I got a feeling next year, somehow 5G connectivity is going to be part of the uh, business sentiment survey. <laughs> I'm going to take that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll check back on that one. Okay, Chris, uh, the, the big one that we are meeting to talk about is the whole issue of uh, trade barriers. Um, tell us what are some of the trade barriers that ASEAN nations are facing? Uh, within ASEAN, I'm afraid there's quite a few non-tariff barriers to trade. We- the Asians are extremely well at removing tariffs amongst themselves and indeed with some of their external partners through the number of external trade deals that are like, like RCEP, for instance. Mm. Um, but within ASEAN, we're still seeing technical barriers to trade, so different standards applied on, on goods uh, from one country to the other. We see some of them imposing quotas on things going into their country. There's a rise in local content requirements, particularly in Indonesia, but also elsewhere in the region. And, and all these are things that I'm afraid Stymie the flow of goods within ASEAN. It also holds back other people wanting to trade with them at the same time. It reduces competitiveness, it reduces innovation, and ultimately harms consumers. I think the hard question from this all is, you know, why do these barriers still exist? Protectionism. (laughs) It's it's the short answer. I mean, a lot of it is governments trying to protect their domestic industry, um, partly because they feel that they're not quite advanced enough. They need a bit more time to get them get themselves ready to tackle and deal with competition from the outside. Uh, some of it is, you know, a demand to see, particularly with local content requirements, often they want to see more added value in country okay. so they can have better quality jobs and get more people into employment. Mm. It's a bit of a short-sighted policy. I mean, it's fine having a local content requirement if you have the supply chain in country to support it, both in terms of quantity and quality. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a that's a big if. What about an FTA with Europe? Could that solve some of these challenges? Although I would imagine there would have to be like 10, 11 different kind of FTAs with different requirements. Am I bucking up the wrong tree here? No, you're not. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have a region-to-region FTA between <laughs> Europe and all of ASEAN. A blanket uh, one, yeah. A blanket one. But uh, unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. We've, <laughs> they've been trying to pursue this this idea for a number of years now. It's currently parked. I think the ambition disconnect between the two sides is, is too great. FTAs will help deal with these issues. A deep and comprehensive FTA will tackle things like harmonizing standards and removing quotas, as well as dealing with, obviously, with the tariff issues. So an FTA could and, and should deal with some of these issues. You might see things phasing over a long time. If you look at the EU FTA with Vietnam, there are some long phasing periods for elements within that. That's fine, because then business knows what they can do and when they can do it, and they can plan accordingly. So I think, yes, we do need more trade agreements between the EU and Southeast Asia. Here at the Council, we're pushing hard for a recommencement of negotiations with Malaysia, Thailand and and the Philippines and hoping that the current ongoing negotiations with Indonesia can get over the line. And if they do, 
we'll see increased trade and increased investment in those markets. You can just look at what's happened with the EU-Singapore and EU-Vietnam FTAs. There's been a big boon in trade. Yeah, for sure. But how much of a factor do the various supply chain bottlenecks come into play or, or even looking at the, the route or the supply chain routes? And the reason I, I bring that up is because, you know, China is in a different situation of its own. How a big a problem is that for the lower half of Asia, the south side of Asia? Well, I think it's really an opportunity for, uh-huh. for Southeast Asia okay. at, at the moment. I mean, we've seen, we saw big supply chain problems throughout the pandemic, especially in the early stages of all the lockdowns going on. I'm afraid lots of the world did not learn their lessons from that. Mm. Like when you see the, the Russian war against uh, against Ukraine has caused a whole range of other supply chain issues, whether it's on the energy side or it's on food or it's on uh, things like fertilizers as well. And, and the world needs to learn lessons and companies need to learn lessons. And part of that is diversifying their supply chains. Mm. You can't rely on single sources for certain products to feed into your manufacturing or your end product. You need to have two or three sources so that if one part shuts down, you can source from another place. And I think here is the opportunity for Southeast Asia. They mm. can position themselves to attract more investment, to diversify those supply chains. We have the people, we have the technology, we have the education in the region to do it. We have the land to do it and the resources to do it. And we just need to make sure that all the underpinning regulatory requirements Mm. are there to support those investments coming in. Yeah, I mean, one big lesson really was uh, uh, during the COVID lockdowns and then here in Singapore, you have these uh, ministers who are in charge of trade uh, come out to show you whole warehouses and explain the different uh, diversified areas where they get the the various goods, right? Rice, for example, or toilet paper, I hate to say that. It's quite obvious when you look at the world right now, it's kind of split, right? Especially with the Russia situation. Opening up a new... Twas Megaport here in Singapore. That seems like a bold move in times like these. But how did you guys at the EU ASEAN Business Council look at it? You, you talk about opportunity. Tell us more. Well, I think for any country, if you want to attract more investment and if you want to stay relevant, you need to be investing in your hard infrastructure, mm. uh, particularly in your seaports and in your airports and in your transport systems so that people can move around easier and goods can move around easier. The megaport at two hours, I think, is a good example of that. It will certainly drive efficiency and economies of scale. If you're merging all the existing ports in Singapore into one, it would make the ease of transshipment, which is what Singapore is really famous for, much quicker, much easier, much cheaper to do. The investments they're making in automation means you're going to start avoiding concerns around labor crunches there in the future as well. So I think, you know, as ever in Singapore, they're great at reinventing themselves. They're showing great foresight with this. Yes, it's a huge investment, but it's one I think that will hold Singapore as a transshipment port in good stead going forward. That's assuming, of course, that we can tackle climate change and the Arctic doesn't melt and yeah. shipping lanes redivert. Of course. Yeah, the, yeah, that, that's another issue which which I wanted to get to. Uh, not so much on the climate change, but on the fact that, in your observation. How much is being done uh, here in Southeast Asia to ensure this availability of ports in that sense? That's, that's part one to, to, to my question. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we're seeing investments throughout the region. Obviously, here in Singapore is a major one. Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia have all been investing in ports. We've seen investments going in to Cambodia and Thailand as well. And these, these are vital. If companies can't move their goods in and out of countries to support their, their manufacturing and then to get their goods out to market, it becomes a problem for them. So investing in, in seaports and airports does become really, really critical. But Chris, 
are we also investing enough time to share technology? And I bring that up in relation to the uh, jam, you know, the, the ship that, that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Is the shipping industry sharing technology fast enough to help deal with what we talked about, diversification, planning routes, anticipating things like that? Well, it takes time to build ships, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and we saw, you know, we saw huge problems in the, in the freight industry with containers basically mm. being in the wrong part of the world for a long period of time and shipping rates going through the roof as a result. I think as an industry, though, they are making big strides forward. We're seeing different types of ships. We're seeing greener ships, for that matter, coming okay. through. I and mean, people like Maersk have great plans to green their fleet, and I'm sure other shipping lines will, will follow suit. That will make shipping cleaner and cheaper over the long run. Right. Um, so I think they, there is a lot of sharing going on. The logistics industry is actually often at the forefront of it. So look at a firm like DHL, one of our members. They have great plans uh, in their industry to, to speed up the deliveries, to use technology to do that last mile delivery quicker, faster and more efficiently. Mm. Uh, anyone online shopping will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> Although there are bigger <laughs> problems in the world. <laughs> uh, Chris Humphrey, Executive Director, EU ASEAN Business Council on the line with me. Chris, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you again. You take care and have a great day. Thanks, Elliot. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.